This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Adjust your tracking and all the playlist podcasts are sponsored by Mubi curated online cinema streaming a selection of exceptional independent classic and award-winning films from around the globe movies film experts handpick every single film they show each day they present a new gem and you have one month to watch it visit mubi.com slash the playlist to start a special 30-day free trial very excited to announce uh, movies current highlights uh, for, for stuff that's just being curated and landing on the streaming service now is a I would say a couple of big ones for AYT listeners, uh, a, a John Carpenter double feature. They are currently streaming the fog and escape from New York. So you got your 1980, 1981, John Carpenter, right in a row. Uh, pretty awesome that those are there. Uh, so what more do you need to know? Get, get movie. It's a great service and we appreciate their support. This episode of Adjuster Tracking is also brought to you by Arrow Video's Blu-ray release of Reanimator, a movie I'm sure fans or listeners to this show are, if not familiar with, probably big fans of. I am as well. Um, this set by Arrow Video is pretty incredible, and it's worth checking out. It's available where you can find Blu-rays anywhere online. All right, guys, now on to the show. Hello and welcome to Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Joe Von Oppen. Joe, uh, what, what, uh, what's on your mind today? Um, well, I've been thinking like a little lately just because of, uh, you know, um, t- today, the day we're recording this, which is most likely not the day you're listening to it, um, but it, it is September 11th and I've been thinking about just like that time 16 years ago, um, 16 years ago, man, um, (laughs) how, um, you know, like we're, we haven't experienced anything, uh, like in, in, in this nation as sort of singularly traumatic as it, since it happened, like thankfully, but it seems like over the past year, if not years, there's been enough kind of like ongoing trauma that like, there's like a state of shock that the culture and maybe the world at large doesn't seem to be out of. And as like, you know, strange as it might seem uh, of a preoccupation, like I I was interested at the time to see how kind of like culturally we were processing trauma back in 2001, just with like what movies people were going to see, Mm -hmm. what movies people were avoiding, what things all of a sudden just weren't landing because of, you know, like what what we had been through as a, as a people, as a nation. And, um, so I've just like before, like for the last month, I've just been thinking about like, Oh, what are people gravitating towards as a sort of like, what do people need in their lives? Cause I hate that statement. Like the movie people need right now. Like maybe <laughs> people don't need movies. Maybe people don't need a viral video right now. Like maybe <laughs> they just need to, you know, truly genuinely communicate with each other. That's besides the point. Cause we're on a fucking movie podcast, but like, <laughs> Just thinking about like leading up to um, the movie, which is going to be our primary discussion today, it like there was something kind of like 
mythic about the movie it that like as we sort of like lurched towards its release date you could kind of sense the 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 enthusiasm over the movie and this was a movie that had had an adaptation before based on a stephen king novel if you don't know um and but like there was kind of if there was any backlash to the movie uh like getting made again it was like it was a tv movie so it was like Ultimately, it was kind of limited in what it could do. So, like, there, if there was a space for something to get made again, this was probably it. Um, so, uh, and so, like, I just, like, so as we, like, move towards it, like, we're kind of in this unshakable state of trauma lately where it's, like, whether it's natural disasters, whether it's civil unrest, whether it's, like, policies being implemented by a, a government that seems to be sort of dominated by scumbags. Like we're in this constant state of like dealing with whatever horrible thing is coming next. And they're coming in such rapid succession that like sometimes we need to take a step back and, you know, deal with like all these things swimming around in the air in a way that feels kind of like not directly in line with, genuine consequences if that makes sense so like mm -hmm. art entertainment is a way that we can sort of like safely process these things and uh it felt like there was there was like a need for a mythic cathartic thing and it might have been that and so like it just seemed like there was this upswell of enthusiasm and interest in this movie that like it was genuinely heartening to me because for one it's not um it's not a comic book movie. It's not Star Wars related as far as I can tell. <laughs> and um, it like Stephen King is, you know, like he's proven himself to be an insane workaholic and kind of a national treasure in a way that he's he's been able to sort of influence the culture in this uh, indelible way, just in this way that his like his his touch is like absolute. And uh, he's influenced like, you know, decades and decades now and mm -hmm. so like seeing you know there's there's been a, a few Stephen King adaptations this year but like this seemed to be the big epic one that everybody was interested in and um, you and I both went to go see screenings Thursday night mm -hmm. of which both as you told me off, off mic were packed mine was yours was and to see that enthusiasm and to see that like that need you know like sometimes it's just as simple as like people's need to be entertained to be scared but like there is something about all of us wanting to have a shared experience that does speak to something bigger than just being entertained, than just being scared. It's something like that we're processing together. And so mm. does this movie deliver on that level? That's what we're going to get into. <laughs> does it? Exactly. Well, but first, I, I think you've made me you've, you've had offshoots in my brain or you've caused offshoots in my brain that, have, uh, that I have to bring up is like, I think it kind of speaks to the I, something that we uh, maybe we lament too often in this podcast or just that we discuss a lot is like now it's because so many people did want this particular shared experience as the box office has shown it was a it was a huge hit yeah. this weekend yeah, Se yeah. September weekend releases uh, or September record uh, for a weekend opening uh, made almost like 120 million huge hit already yes um, it's showing the like the we're in it's just swinging more and more this way of like the have and have nots in the movie world it, it exists where like if you get something that hits like it 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 basically sucks up all the energy all the money 
Yeah. And everything else is just like left for the scraps. Um, and I think that's really interesting, but I also worry that like, uh, it, it, it it gets back to like something we worry about when we start to champion the smaller movies that we really get into that we inevitably, we just know people won't be as excited about because yeah. there only seems to be a, you know, a limited amount of movies that collectively people really all want to go see. And yeah. yeah, it's, it's interesting that like it yeah, is it, as much as we're excited for it, that it's bringing people to the movies like, Man, it's just another example of uh, of the the gulf between the hit and the everything else. Well, it's also like you touching on my point, touching on something else. Uh, there is because there is that sort of uh, investment in something that people want so bad, they want to share like so deeply that like they almost don't really give it room to be anything other than like the greatest or the worst. Right. So it's like if everybody was excited for a movie that like they couldn't deny was terrible, then it becomes the worst thing in the world. And if everyone wants to believe a movie's great and it mostly delivers, like then it's the greatest and there's no room for anything in between, which like just sort of the internet is sort of nailing all those nails in the coffin of culture at large. Yes. Which you would wish it was the opposite, but unfortunately it's not. So here's this movie that, like, you know, it it it's got uh, a great ensemble of kids, and uh, it's like it's it's a rich, atmospheric uh, world that the movie lives in in a small town in an actual location, which is something that you know you and I sort of vie for all the time because like the sense of movies existing in uh you know like backlots and green screens is sort of like sucking all the air out of everything but mm-hmm. so it's got it's got all these qualities this atmosphere this dread this uh just this sense of scale that's really beautiful yes but there are flaws to the movie and so it's just like people there people want this like they want this to deliver they need it to deliver so it's the best but you and I, like, I think maybe you, maybe more than me, mm-hmm. were, were just like, well, can we slow down? I mean, there's, because there's, there's things that could have been improved upon in the <laughs> film. That, like, uh, I want you to have your experience. I love that you're enthusiastic about things, but can we, can we talk about the fact that um, I couldn't discern whether I was genuinely scared or just shrinking from the sheer volume of the movie? <laughs> Yeah, that that'd be one example, right? I I and you use the word slow down, not even in the the way I'm about to, but uh-huh. slow down is the perfect criticism for me for this adaptation of it. Is it's just so indicative of a lot of the the, the movies that I think if we really took hard look at the last couple of years of like the big hits, you know, the big hits like this. This is one of them, and a lot of them seem to follow this template of like there just is no room to breathe yet this movie, which is as the credits roll at the end, let you know it is part one. So there will be more because the book of course is humongous and has timelines of the kids. And then when they're adults, blah, blah, blah. Um, inevitably that's going to come now. That's a huge hit, but uh, man, two hours, 20 minutes, whatever it runs. It, it just felt like my God, slow the pace down. This movie never had a chance to breathe. And I have to like that right there is my is just what graded on me after a while where um 
I, I like you, I, I actually felt more certain. I was like, no, I'm not scared anymore. Now I'm just sort of like annoyed that I know the rhythm of the movie. I don't know about you, but mm-hmm. about half an hour in, it becomes very clear that the structure and the rhythm of this movie will be like scene starts. Doesn't matter like who's in it, but by the end, you're going to get some insane jolt and it's, speaks to the like the high volume of things that you were talking about but like it it it's like no scene can end as just a scene it everything has to ramp up to this thing and i just i actually just yeah. kind of grew a little tired of it even while well, mostly enjoying the experience yeah yeah i mean i think we've talked about this before with horror movies at large mm-hmm. uh you know maybe especially contemporary ones but like when they're not genuinely kind of getting you invested in the tension of the movie and convincing you of things either through the performance, through the story, through the atmosphere, when the jolts happen, they're not scary. They're grating and they're like, they overwhelm you. But like, if you're not emotionally invested in it, they're just irritating. And like, I wouldn't say that for this movie at all because like the performances are by and large, uh, like convincing and uh, the, like all the sort of kid characters are very likable, and they sometimes have to work uphill against a kind of eye-rolly script, you know. Yes. Like uh, there's, you know, like it was humming along like pretty comfortably for a lot of it, but there are our forehead slappingly obvious lines like, "Wait, let me get this straight." Like, wait, anytime you have someone read that out loud, wait, let me get this straight. Like you're cueing everybody that this is, Hey idiots, this is exposition. And we're saying, Hey, let me get this straight because you're too stupid to understand the delivery system for exposition. So like a little kid is saying, Hey, let me get this straight. And I was like, Oh my God, why did they not like delete that in the draft or edit it once it was recorded? You know what I mean? <laughs> But yet and still, so these kids are able to sort of overcome that hurdle and like all be all have these genuine moments and earn these these sort of like earn the atmosphere that the film affords and then scares would happen. And like they would literally be I don't don't know how technically equipped the theater you saw it in was, but like I saw it in the dome. I'm not bragging. I know I mentioned that a lot that I see movies in the Cinerama Dome at the Arc. (laughs) Who cares? That's where I saw it. That theater is so fucking loud. It's unbelievable. And so, like, scares would happen, especially the first scare mm-hmm. uh, when the first kid is abducted. The It's like an experimental music noise show level of explosive sound. So, like, my friend and I were just, like, pressed against our seats like, Jesus Christ. Like, one, it's a it's a traumatic image it's leaving you with. Yes. And it's it's a it's a primally frightening thing. I think like all across the board, everyone is afraid of clowns. Stephen King knows this. So he taps into that primal fear. We've always, always been afraid of clowns ever since like the the origin of our species. So <laughs> um so here we are. It's this terrifying moment, startling image. But I can't like I'm so shriveling into myself because of the the over the wave of noise that I'm like, I can't discern what's happening anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I am just I'm forced to kind of shut down because of it because it's overloading my senses. And I think that that be, that could, if not right now, that could become a problem because like the sound design of this movie, though it's impressive, 
there's screams layered into like the sound cues that aren't being screamed by the actual characters in the movie. It's just like something will pop into frame and it'll be like, Shit! and there'll you'll hear a literal scream, but no, like the character's not screaming. <laughs> and so it's just like, what the, what's the point of this? Like, I, I under like sound cues like that have like they're timeless now at this point. They're just they've become part of the horror experience. But the jump scare is so built in now and needs such intense escalation because of our, our, our increasing numbness and deadness to things, all things. (laughs) We need to be woke up. Yeah. It's just like, it becomes the, okay, let me get this straight cue that we need to, where it's like, no, this isn't, this isn't just scary on its own. We need to like pulverize the audience. And it's just like, huh, like that, that speaks to that room to breathe thing where it's mm-hmm. like, can something be scary on its own? Yeah. And yeah. I also couldn't help but feel like, man, the best moments for me in the movie and, and especially the many scare moments that the movie is just flooded with is like, I, I kept finding myself like loving the buildup because that's mm-hmm. when the movie would be patient and quiet. And like breathing. that. Op- yeah, yeah. Yeah. That opening scene you reference is is like wow I thought I was re- I thought I was about to watch maybe it set up unfair expectations for the rest of the movie because I thought that opening scene is the strongest like directed moment it's it's just everything is it's the best moment of the movie right at the top and uh I thought wow I'm in store for like a great horror movie here like and it it sort of as it went on it less and less felt that way for me but God, that that scene has a slow build and then, yes, a terrifying sort of uh, climax to it. And there's one other scene in particular that I remember thinking, like, I wish there were more like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's uh, a moment maybe like near halfway, maybe a little further, where one of the kids is looking down in the street. I can't remember what he's reaching for, but then he, he it's like a ring or something like that. It's the boy who has um, his mother's like a controlling, she, she convinces the, her kid that he's she gets sick. like Munchausen syndrome basically. It, exactly. Yeah. Um, which I might want to touch back on the ridiculous parent characters in this movie. Uh, yeah. um, but anyway, um, that scene where he, it's his moment to be chased by Pennywise or by, in this case, like a, it's like a demon, um, and I loved the build up to that, the slow build as he looks up and sees this, you know, this demon thing that he that has chased him already and then chases him through a backyard of the creepy mansion. Like, mm-hmm. I really liked that. And it felt like a big movie moment, like as it chased him around the house, it it, it was like, yeah, this is like uh, I, I looked at the budget. It's like 30 million on it. Like, I'm very impressed. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's very impressive movie because it feels big. Despite mm-hmm. any of my problems or criticism, it feels like a big cinema experience, and they accomplish that. And that is one of those moments. Uh, but it's just God, I, I just, I, I just couldn't help the feeling of like, okay, I grew tired with the sort of repetition of the movie and the scares, but also the script does feel really like, mi- like it's missing a lot of things because they wanted to get you through as much of the book as they could. Yeah, which and, is a long book. It's a thousand page, thousand plus pages. Yeah, it's a fucking doorstop, man. It is. It's huge, and you you feel that in this movie. The adaptation element of it definitely, I think, is lacking in that regard because I just I couldn't get as invested as the movie wanted me to yet so much of it is saved by yeah these kids do a a very good job in it even though i have to admit maybe this is because one of the main kids is actually from stranger things but this isn't fair but it's like stranger things is is 
deeply inv- uh it's it's a result of a love of Stephen King, right? Like he's yeah, one of the main exactly. factors of Stranger Things that right. inspires that show. And then it's like almost like a, a John Carter effect if you remember that movie, like the the thing that sort of invented it has now been recycled so much yeah. in popular culture that it doesn't know favors when you see a version of the actual thing. And um yeah. Yeah, so I, anyway, it's it's interesting because like there are a lot of things that Stephen King is sort of responsible for influencing, like you mentioned Stranger Things, uh, and so like the it becomes like a feedback loop where Stranger Things is obviously you know informing the this production to some extent, you know not only with the casting, even though like Stranger Things was kind of coming out most likely when this was well underway in terms of like being shot even. Mm-hmm. So it's like how, how much influence it had probably is, you know, like questionable, but it's still like it's in the air and like a movie like Donnie Darko, you know, mm. which we'll yes. tie into that came out in 2001 around September 11th and was buried because of, uh, you know, it's, it's airplane footage. But like mm-hmm. in the beginning of that movie, uh, the mother character is reading it. That's right. And, uh, and like there's a scene that so like Stephen King has sort of like fingerprints like literally on that movie. Mm-hmm. And then there's a character introduction sequence in it that is very derivative of Donnie Darko's character introduction sequence where it's whipping around the high school hallways uh-huh. and sort of like moving from. And I just like turned to my friend. I was like, Donnie Darko. And then like it stopped cold <laughs> because it's it's not as like expansive as the one in, in Donnie Darko. It doesn't like take place over the course of an entire Tears for Fears song. Yeah, but it like severely it, lacking in tear for, tears for fears. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Like if they're they were really good about uh, the movie pop culture references mm-hmm. uh, and the new kids on the block references, but uh, <laughs> that was a nice touch. You know, all the the marquees in the background, the two marquees that they show: uh, Batman, Lethal Weapon Two, and Nightmare on Elm Street Five. Those did all come out in the summer of. Uh, 1989. I wondered if that was period accurate. I knew Batman was right for it sure. Is. Yeah. And that, coincidentally, they're all from the company that made it anyway. Ah. So, um, <laughs> and so like also like Nightmare on Elm Street kind of like those movies were coming around around the time that like it, the novel came out and like there's, there's a heavy kind of Nightmare on Elm Street feel to these movies because it's about this nefarious mythic character that only kids seem to be stricken with. And like it feeds off their fears. It knows what scares them. That's very like kind of Freddy Krueger-esque. And so even though Stephen King wasn't lifting any of those ideas from the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, it's all gone into a, a kind of feedback loop mm-hmm. that like comes into this movie. And like the movie is still like very, very impressive in it's sort of epic scale, even though it has its flaws. And like, I think it's flaws are indicative of how a lot of films get made nowadays, which feels like by committee, mm-hmm. like this movie originally was supposed to be directed by Kerry Fukunaga, yeah. who made see nombre and the good season of true detective. <laughs> and, uh, and, for whatever happened, uh, he he is still credited as a writer for the movie. And I think there are like two to three other writers. Mm-hmm. And so it starts to feel like it's a little piecemeal and like, you know, the product of a lot of people, which films inevitably are. But it starts to feel like by committee and that sort of jigsaws it apart into like a, an occasional mess. Yeah. That like still impressively holds together through the sort of the length of this movie. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Definitely. I, I tell you, I would have loved, 
love to have seen the Kerry Fukunaga version of this movie. And I think if I remember right, I think him leaving was years before it even went into production or like, you know, before they even started. It wasn't like a all these recent like Disney firings on star Wars movies that you're hearing. Yeah. <laughs> it's not one of those things, but right. um, as I understand, Fukunaga just was not given, I think the budget that he wanted to do it even on a, probably a more grand scale. And I just can't help but think um, at least on the evidence I have of movies I've seen from each director, like Kerry uh, Fukunaga to me is a much better filmmaker, better storyteller than Andy Muschietti, who does a good job with this movie. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you remember Mama, we, we reviewed that on I the do. podcast. Yeah, not that movie is did well when it came out and I think was generally well received. And uh, yeah. you and I at the time were really against that confused. movie. Like, yeah, confused. Yeah. Um, so, well, yeah, it's it's weird. I couldn't I couldn't help but, you know, lament for what could have been. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Mama uh, came from, uh, you know, it was originally a a short film Mm -hmm. that, like, I think a short film doesn't, it it only has to just get to that initial punch. It doesn't have to sustain punch after punch the way a feature-length film does. Mm -hmm. And so it it could just operate on the sort of primal scares that the movie's offering. And then once the movie had to kind of explain itself away, it, it, like, the nightmare logic dissolves and you're just sort of like, what, what are we talking about now? What the fuck? Like what's happening? And like, <laughs> it starts to just like let all the air out of the tension. And like, that's unfortunately what happens with a lot of horror movies that have this sort of like instant kind of nightmare logic to them. And they have this like way of kind of, you know, like the, the, the images in it that, you know, like are, are, are so startling, like come from a sort of shared, you know, like understanding of trauma that we have culturally. And it's like, they come from a shared, you know, collective unconscious of just like nightmare imagery. And like, a mo- like, let's say a movie like it follows, mm. you know, that's like, a, it's a terrifying premise that like just seeing someone like off in the distance, closing in on you, scary. But then like the movie eventually has to reach a conventional climax, explain itself away. And it's like, no, 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 you can kill it by throwing a TV in a pool. Huh? Like, <laughs> It all starts to just like let the air out of everything. And like, I think that even still like this, there's things working against it. Like there's a, there's a good amount of CGI in the movie, but it still manages to like maintain uh, a a sort of in between practical and CGI that still is effectively scary. Mm -hmm. And there still is that moment of like, throw the TV in the pool that like, hits at the end where it's like you just don't have to be afraid of things like and you know like that it's similar to like uh like nightmare on elm street like Mm -hmm. that was the end of one of those movies where it's like you just don't you just don't believe in freddy krueger the end huh like that's not (laughs) that's not satisfying but the the movie i think like even though one of its flaws is that it never slows down, like the, the relentless pace of that conclusion, like it had no choice. It sort of had to rush through this, this like nightmare cycle. And like, as it explains itself away, it didn't really give itself a chance to run out of air. It just like sort of muscled through to the conclusion. Yeah. And yeah. It, it, it doesn't really relent. And I think like it, at the very least, the last leg of the movie benefits from that relentlessness. I think so too. It also benefits from some of the, like the movie's 
uh, saves a lot of its most impressive imagery for the end, uh, specifically yeah. of a bunch of, I'll just say, children floating. You know, I'm, I think enough mm-hmm. people, it's not going to be a spoiler. Um, yeah. the, Everybody saw it. Yeah. Saw it. <laughs> um, but that imagery goes a long way because it just like, because it is moving at a relentless place, it does it does sort of help the fact that, oh, the rules are sort of changing uh, every couple minutes as to like how you can defeat Pennywise. And, and the kids seem to figure things out like off screen where I was like, how did they learn that? How did they know that? I, I kept questioning things, but yeah, the, the relentless pace sort of helps that in that sense. And it just, yeah. thinking about it now, it, it almost makes me wish like this movie, I think was going to be a big hit no matter what. I feel like there could have been not, not a ton of changes needed. It could have been a little bit more abstract and weird if they would have just embraced that. Instead, they still wanted to over-explain things, but then move at this pace. I don't know. I just I dream of like what could have been like a little bit weirder adaptation, a little bit weirder mainstream horror movie. Um, and that's okay. I didn't get that. Uh, but yeah. I just wanted to touch on like again that imagery that was impressive. Um, my my the MVP for me in this movie is uh, as good as the kids are and everything is the the DP for this movie is um, Park Chan Wook's uh, regular cinematographer and okay yeah yeah, yeah I, I'll murder his name Chung Hoon Chung uh, he's I think he shot just about if not all of Park Chan Wook's movies so like yeah. The Handmaiden and stuff like man you can see it I think he is a big factor that gave this movie the scale and the just the heavy dose of cinema that it's like flooded Mm -hmm. with. Uh, I think he really contributes to that. So, you know, that that goes a long way. There's yeah, there's a, there's a great sense of like move, like the camera moves so beautifully in the movie and, you know, especially in like a lot of the outdoor sequences, like after the kind of horrifying, uh, cold open of the movie, like the, the camera travels through a tunnel and sort of like drifts over a Creek. And like that, that like, now that I know that that's Park Chan Wook's, uh, DP, it's just like that. That reminds me of uh, sympathy for Mr. Vengeance and like yeah. stuff like that, where there's like a lot of just like beautifully moving camera stuff in it. Well, and that it's just cool to see, uh, like the other people in Park Chanwick's circle now that he's kind of crossing over and becoming more known. He's even done an English language movie. Is like you're seeing his incredibly like talented, uh, ca- you know, like staff that he works with on a regular basis. You're seeing them like creep through into the mainstream, and I just I that it just makes me so happy because yeah, we've been following these people and these filmmakers for as long as you, you know, sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, all that That's decade plus, you know, it's, it's been mm-hmm. a while. It's just, it's very exciting. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just happy to see like them having success and uh, it just proving like how freaking talented they are. Like it, it, it adds a lot uh, to this movie. Um, and I, I won't belabor it very long. Cause I feel like we should, we should wrap this one up is, but it's just like, you know, uh, another main complaint I have is uh, is it's like <laughs> not just the relentless pace, but just like the parents in this movie. I don't know yeah. if it bugged you, but like it just seemed like there was no because everything seems evil at a point in this movie. Mm-hmm. The parents included. It just became almost comical to me. And then also like it kind of killed the stakes for me after a while because I felt like, well, everything's evil. And the kids can always sort of figure it out. Like, I just feel like there was nothing at stake and it sort of deflated a lot of the movie for me. And it, honestly, I just kind of found myself chuckling like, oh, here's the rapey dad. And here's the mother who is like this Eminem's mom, basically. <laughs> exactly, dude. So, you know, I'm, I 
we're complimenting the movie and here I am and I have to shit on it near the end of our review, but I'm, well, uh, you know, I mean the one, the one of the main also like to, you know, the bullies were like very impressive, but they were equally cartoonishly evil as the God. Yeah. But you made me, you reminded me of the rock fight scene, probably the worst scene in the movie for me. I'm going to just throw that out there. (laughs) The rock fight scene. (laughs) Cause it, it wasn't sure what it was like. Cause if you think about it, like, Getting a rock thrown at your fucking head, like that's scary. That's and that hurts. Like, it, it could kill you. <laughs> yes. And so it's just like to have all like rocks hurling for like minutes, like at each other, like hitting people in the head, and then like taking consecutive shots to the head. It's just like, all right, what 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 are we doing here? Like what? Was... Like one rock killed Piggy in Lord of the Flies. <laughs> And it's uh, tonally all wrong, I feel like, because... Uh, what what world is this all of a sudden? Right, uh, like, we're supposed to be cheering that they're fighting back against the bullies, which is good, but, like, yeah, this just felt all wrong, and, like, the music took a turn for the worst at that point, and, uh... No, yeah, I sorry. Can, all, all I can think of is, like, circus music. Is that what was playing? Or was, I, I, it, he- was it heavy metal? It was, like, guitar metal shit, and I just yeah, was like, yeah. oh, man, you've just killed what was so kind of elegant about the movie, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah. I would, I was going to say that one of the parents of, uh, the bully character, who's a, a cop in the movie, it's like, you know, pretty underused mostly the, the, the actual similarity between them physically is pretty remarkable, but he seems to be the most, uh, level headed parent in the group. He, uh, <laughs> slaps his kid around and his fucking kid deserved it. Yeah. He was like, he was almost going to shoot a cat. Fuck that character That's and right. do whatever you can, dad, to put that kid in his place. Anyway. <laughs> yes. Public service announcement over. <laughs> exactly. Well, I don't know. Um, it, I think your overall point, and I love the way you started this, is that like it's, it is exciting. And we're like, this means more R-rated, you know, mid-budgeted movies. Yes. Will get made. And that's great. We, we want more of these. Um, uh, and, you know, frankly, I hope the lessons that almost are never taken or learned by Hollywood from from these kind of examples, hopefully they do sink in because it it seems just in my memory this year that a lot of successful movies have come from being lower budgeted where it doesn't seem like it's this massive gamble that it has to make yeah. a billion dollars. So they can take chances. Yeah, and yeah. Our argument is just like, take take more. Please do. Take, take more chances. <laughs> <laughs> Before we wrap up this episode, we there, there was a uh, maybe just a few things we wanted to touch on. Most of them yeah. ne- Netflix related. Um, I think before we dive into that, really quick though, I just I just wanted to bring up briefly like uh, Twin Peaks, uh, the return. These episodes, uh, the eighteen episodes, have finally ended, and um, I'm as confused as probably anybody else as to what I watched. Uh, yeah. And a lot of people on the playlist have been championing it. Uh, Rodrigo Perez and Ryan Oliver have done some podcasts on it recently. Uh, definitely worth taking a listen to. It's on our it's on our podcast feed. But I, I will say, like, I, I'm so glad that this thing existed in the first place, that it happened, that David Lynch made 18 hours of visual entertainment again. Yeah. Um, and I will say episode eight is uh, is truly, for me, one of the greatest things he's ever done as a filmmaker. There's, there's this kind of contained episode. Uh, uh, most people that have seen it will know what I'm talking about. Episode eight is incredible. But all said and done, I, I, I always got something from an episode that was, that was a good takeaway, be it an absurdly funny moment or 
uh, a shock or whatever, or a creepy, you know, Lynchian thing. But um, I, I'm surprised, uh, at least the people in my circle that I read and follow, like how many people are just like going for broke and saying this is one of the greatest TV shows ever. I, I'm not there. I'm not there, but that's okay. I'm so glad this thing exists. But um, I don't. I believe you. You kind of stopped early on it, Joe. And I'm just curious. Like, I think it's worth talking about. Like, what? Because you're a Lynch fan, and what? What about it? Sort of turned you off uh, initially. Uh, well, I'm gonna disappoint you just because it wasn't a matter of that necessarily uh i saw the the premiere in a movie theater which was you know beautiful and like nice i think we talked about it after the first two episodes aired that like all of lynch is sort of on display in like even the first few hours of it Mm -hmm. um and uh there's just like all of the things that are kind of frustrating and occasionally laughable but stunning and hypnotic and sort of like consistently intriguing like all of those things are kind of operating and so it's it's beautiful to see a filmmaker and an artist you know at large like kind of operating entirely in their bag and just to be like completely like in the pocket and like doing what they do and doing it like beautifully well and uh basically i I've gotten through the third episode and I was just putting it off for no reason really other than like I have, I'm doing submission screenings for a a festival. And so like when I wasn't actually doing that, I was guilty about not doing that. So I couldn't commit to something that took a lot of attention, uh, which like his material does. It does. It, it requires all of your wheels to be spinning at once. And like (laughs) things, uh, really not trusting you and uh, not appealing to our better selves like seem to be kind of dominating a, a, a lot in pop culture at least and um, so he gives you the benefit of the doubt and he you know like this is some, like he delivered entirely what he wanted with no input from the studio Showtime that put it out and like and so uh, now now that it's all out there I am going to dive into it. That's good. I, I would. And whenever it is, that's the beauty of, you know, this sort of streaming world we live in is that those episodes are there and you can catch up. And, you know, if you get to the end, if, and when you do, I think, I think at any point it's worth just touching back on it because, um, I feel lucky that we have this thing in existence, even though I am befuddled to say the least and don't know where I stand with it. It's, yeah. it's definitely locked me in. And certainly for me, this is a summer that I can look back, like I can look at and say, this really is an example of like, there are so many good shows out there for me. Like this was playing while the, uh, one of the, the penultimate season of game of Thrones was playing, which obviously is humongous mainstream hit, but I I've loved since the beginning. And even a show like Rick and Morty on adult swim is, uh, in its third season right now is really strong and great. And, uh, you know, swinging to Netflix, like BoJack Horseman is a show I've loved uh, since the beginning. And we've got a new season, season four up there on Netflix now. I'm about halfway through. It's totally worth checking out uh, if you haven't. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of good TV uh, and, you know, there's some of them. But uh, when it comes to Netflix movies, I think this is going to be an ongoing thing where we almost need to chart our disappointment. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, because. a lot of their, you know, pickups, the Netflix movies that they either buy at festivals or that they're producing themselves. Uh We've, we've beyond Okja 
and uh, maybe what was the uh, Mason, uh, the Macon Blair movie? Uh, I don't feel, I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Right, right. Like you know, we liked those. Okja for me is especially like a really great film. Yeah, a lot of them have been like kind of crushingly average or just disappointing, and uh, it's interesting. Like Netflix really is trying to make this push into the movie world, but their TV game is really strong, but their movie game has just so much. Like it's so much left. Um, there's a they have a they have a long long way to go, I think. And you know, <laughs> one of the ones I watched briefly was just this movie, Message from the King, of interest only because I'm a fan of the director's work, Fabrice Duals. Uh, we talked about his movie Alleluia a couple years ago, and uh, Calvera is a really good horror movie. Um, man, just a flat, dull like. I, it's such a festival movie, like one you catch at a festival and it'll never play anywhere else. And um, it's weird. It's got that Netflix stamp and why, like, it's just, it's a strange experience for sure. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that like, you know, there's, we've, we for a long time have been kind of championing for mid-level movies and the directors that bring out the, like the best in like a, a, a sort of limited budget and they don't have to sort of think in terms of appeasing a committee like a, a lot of filmmakers like Adam Wingard, for instance, who like, you know, made The Guest, one of my favorite movies the year it came out. Mm-hmm. And he has a movie, uh, an adaptation of a, a manga novel, graphic novel. Dad, um, I, don't, I don't Is that am I saying that correctly? Manga, I think. But you're good. <laughs> but yeah. So uh, it was met with such instantaneous uh, negative <laughs> press that like I haven't even tried it. I and, know. Uh, and so it's just like it's it's it be it's becoming this lane for filmmakers that we we care about and are invested in, and you know unfortunately it's it's has yet to sort of you know like deliver on the level that we've always appreciated. And I don't know if it has anything to do with the fact that like they're not thinking about the sort of grandeur of the theater, which like before they were, mm-hmm. you know. And like Amazon is another studio that their batting average is better because yeah. like. Their movies, by and large, are are screened in theaters before they go to streaming for the remainder of their existence, and uh, and so like I think that there is like a sense of elevation in that, mm-hmm. and uh, the the films that have kind of risen risen above like the pack are the ones that like even though they didn't or if they did, they got such a limited theatrical release, they still are thinking in those terms. I think I don't feel at home in this world anymore delivers on that terms. Okja definitely delivers on that yes. in, in that sense. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's just like, uh, I think we, we will have to chart our sadness. I think uh, so. I think this so. goes forward. Uh, <laughs> and, there's another, and, uh, an Eli Craig film came out recently, little evil. He was the director of Tucker and, uh, Dale versus evil. That's right. Yeah. I, I want to catch up with this one too. Yeah. It's good. Okay. It's decent. All right, yeah. All right. Adam Scott's great in it. Um, it's like you can see all the charms that worked for Tucker and Dale are sort of at play in this. And uh, it do, it does feel tailor-made for a Netflix home viewing experience, less okay. so like a, a sort of delivering in the cinematic scale. But like it's still fun. That might be that might be the way to go for Netflix. We'll we'll see. I'm I'm glad to hear because there's so much coming out on Netflix that it is impossible yeah. to keep up. Yeah. And uh, one last one that I'd say is worth seeking out, although we're gonna have to lament that it barely had a theatrical release, is this film called Nocturama, which 
as it stands right now, is one of my favorite movies of the year. And I was able to see it at a film festival in Portland in the beginning of the year and in a theater. And it was one of two screenings. And it is not and will not get any more Portland Portland screenings as far as I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and here it is on Netflix all of a sudden. And I think you had one opportunity to see it in L.A. Is that right, Joe? Yeah, it was like part of some sort of traveling experience to see the movie, like where it was like going from city to city, like whether it was a print or not. I doubt it. But no, like, I doubt it. <laughs> it still was like going like Los Angeles, San Francisco and sort of like around the country day by day, making it a kind of exclusive experience, mm-hmm. which like I think that's happening like a little more with titles like it like there will be like a fathom events type thing where it's like simultaneously screening in you know like a thousand theaters one night only and it's like huh are you gonna are you trying to trick me i don't understand like why don't you just like let it run for a week so yeah it was one night a night i couldn't go after it was you know heartily recommended by a friend of the show morgan that's right uh <clears throat> yeah, it's and, it's oh, too bad you didn't get to see it in a theater. It is such it's uh it's, it's clearly a very immersive film, one yes. that like if you give yourself over to the sort of like tension and propulsion of the movie, mm-hmm. it takes on a life of its own and like just in the sort of world of home viewing with all of its potential distractions, I think it suffers a little, you know, and it's like it's it's a movie of such immediate atmosphere that like you really owe it to yourself, even though you don't have a chance anymore to see it in theater. <laughs> yeah. Anyone who's a diehard cinephile that listens to this show and you live in a city that has good art house options, you never know. Pay attention. It might get a, a, a random release at like your local art house or, you know, a film center type of place in your city. It's possible, but uh, yeah, it's, it's on Netflix now, which is great. You know, it's that complicated thing. Like, great see it if you can it's available that's wonderful i hope you have a good uh home theater setup i hope you have good speakers um because that is the way to get lost in this movie and it's uh it's a fascinating film and if if you get a chance to 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 watch it joe or to finish it like it'd be worth even just discussing even if it's off mic i just would want to know what you think because um it's one of those uh like small little foreign releases that uh, to me has really risen uh as one of my favorites of the year uh it just I was I was so locked into this movie and it's uh it's one that'll make you think but also it just I was kind of along for the ride with it uh almost instantly so um uh, a lot to appreciate with it uh it's a French film and uh check it out if you can but yeah turn turn them turn that shit up uh maybe not as loud as the uh, as it screenings mm-hmm. but uh turn it up you got to hear it you have neighbors to think about <laughs> exactly all right so why don't we uh why don't we wrap up uh, episode whoa, whoa, 150 whoa. oh go Hold ahead up. Do you have, you have something to announce? We're bringing back a segment, are we not? That's true. And hold up is the right choice of words. So uh, <laughs> we are we are determined. We are bringing this this segment back, and it's going to be a consistent thing. So hold up, our segment where we uh, it's evolved over the years, but where we often look at a movie that one of us has liked from the past that maybe generally didn't get the best reception, but it's evolved and. Now we use it in any way that can fit under that moniker, but like just looking back at a film and seeing if it does hold up. And then we see the discussion where the discussion goes from there. So um, our next choice, my my choice uh, for the next episode is going to be very fitting. It's a Darren Aronofsky movie. Um, and we're going to look closer at Black Swan, but we're also going to review his new movie, Mother, uh, on our next episode next week. So 
uh, and probably are overall. You, are you supposed to scream the title because it has an exclamation point? <laughs> I guess so. And all the trailers, as good as they are, they are they are shrill. <laughs> um, but yeah, Black Swan. And, you know, so this doesn't qualify as a traditional holdup pick because obviously huge hit when it came out won a few Oscars, was up for a lot of Oscars, generally considered a, you know, a, a success. Um, but that's where it gets interesting for you and me as we split on this in the early days of meeting each other. I yeah, I was a big fan. I am a big fan of this movie, but you you were not. And I remember us uh, almost the first time we met disagreeing right away. And uh, uh, it'll be fun to revisit because uh, you've only seen it, I'm guessing, since it came out, right? Yeah, the one time. And I don't even know how, like, this is, like, literally the first time we met was at a a staff meeting for an upcoming film festival. And either one of us was already talking about it, (laughs) not it, not the movie It, but, like, uh, (laughs) Black Swan. And we just sort of, like, honed in on each other. We're like, you like that? Fuck that movie. And, uh... (laughs) And then, yeah, so... And then I think you were like, I like True Grit, and I was like, fuck that movie. (laughs) I'm like, oh, fuck that. I can't wait to talk to this guy more. (laughs) Exactly. So it'll be early origins of AYT, before pre-AYT, to revisit. And um, I'm looking forward to it, man. I've seen it a few times since it came out. Um, I'll just... I'd love to see if it's curdled more in your your experience watching it again, or if uh, maybe, maybe you see see the greatness that I see in it. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I'm excited to dig into it too. I feel like I maybe was a little too mean, but who knows? Might we'll be see. meaner now. We'll see. Yeah. And can't wait to see mother. I actually get to see it tomorrow night in an early screening. And then uh, we'll dive in on that one. Cause to me, it looks fucking great. So uh, I'm excited. Me too. I'm getting excited for movies, Joe. Mm-hmm. It's our season. <laughs> it's, it is. It is. All right. Well, uh, with that in mind, uh, look out for us next week. We're, uh, we're, we're getting damn near prolific here at this rate, and we'll have to keep it up. So we'll wrap up episode 151 of Adjust Your Tracking. You can find all our episodes and those of our other shows on the Playlist Podcast uh, Network over at theplaylist.net. There's a podcast tab. You can go there and find them all. Uh, you could rate review uh, our shows on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, any of those things. It could be very helpful for us. Email us at adjustyourtracking at gmail.com. I actually got a few nice uh, fan emails recently, which is very heartening. Um, so nice. keep them coming. That's, you know, I'm not even going to say Facebook and Twitter anymore since we've basically left those spaces to die <laughs> and I don't care anymore. But email us. I like writing letters to people. So uh, write some to us. We'd, we'd appreciate that. I do. I mean, I had an idea. I was going to run by you uh, for for our Facebook, uh, which was the expiring film festival. So any movie coming to an end on one of the streaming services that we feel needs your urgent attention at the end of the month, I'll start doing that as the the expiring film festival. I like it. I do like that idea. Maybe you can breathe some life in that that amazing (laughs) Facebook page. Uh, So yes, if you do that, maybe I'll jump in and have some fun with that too. I think it's a. I I do think it's a great idea. So. so look out for that. Um, and, uh, you know, with all that said, all I have left to do is to thank you, Joe, for talking with me today. Thanks, Eric. Right,